Maybe you are on the struggle bus this morning. I'm a little on the struggle bus this morning, um, and I get it, um, but I'm glad to be here with you. More seriously, uh, I was on an actual bus two weeks ago as I was on a pilgrimage called Sankofa with a diverse group of 47 people traveling to the sites of the civil rights movement throughout the southern states of Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee. I cannot possibly recount the entirety of my experience, and I will be sharing more about it this fall at some point. But know that as I continue to process, it is quite evident that that experience has shaped not only how I sat with today's text, but how I sense we as a community are being formed. In this season, we have been looking at scripture through the lens of queer theology, and now during Lent, we are going to name and sit in the pain as we walk with Jesus toward the cross. You might notice that this journey does coincide with the work that we're doing with Alyssa over these next couple of months. There it goes. I'm done with it. As we lament and compost trauma, I want to continue encouraging us to pay attention to what our bodies know, what our bodies tell us about the divine as we both sit amongst one another here in community and also as we hear the words of our sacred text. I understand that it is hard work to sit in the pain and to allow our bodies to learn to go through this composting process. When we say composting, we mean to allow what is no longer feeding us or has traumatized or harmed us to begin to break down, or a more embodied term might be metabolized. This will bring about a cultivating of fertile space for growth and renewal so we can experience healing. It is really a coming home to ourselves as God's beloved. I think then and only then will we be sustained for a life of wholeness and justice. Cole Arthur Riley in her book, This Here Flesh, which some of us are, are reading for seasonal small groups, she speaks of it this way. She says, justice doesn't survive without repair. We have to pause and bandage ourselves up habitually. Even when the oppressor has been defeated, we are worthy of tending to the pain of the past. Repair Truth-telling, reparations, healing, reconciliation, these are what breathe new life into us. I want to name that as we continue in this culture building as a faith community, especially in a more intense way during this season, that we are going to be stretched. We are going to be uncomfortable. New communal practices will emerge, and some of those will be formal, and some will be rather organic. And maybe you've already noticed the cadence of our speech, the speeding up and slowing down, provides space to pause and to let whatever is before us to permeate our being, to allow ourselves the space and time to lament and to wonder 
or to rest, if even just for a moment. This is what Alyssa modeled for us last week. While asking us to sit with the pain of betrayal that Jesus encountered. Bridging last week's text and our text for the day, uh, in the midst of knowing that he would be betrayed, Jesus continues in his farewell discourse. And in the tradition of farewell discourses, which are meant to pass on wisdom from one generation to the next, Jesus is portrayed as a Jewish sage addressing his pupils for the final time. It's really quite like the end of Koheleth from last fall. Focusing on the more inward relationship with God, we move from chapter 14 into chapter 15 today, but I want to provide a very brief recap of what happens in that in-between space. The people make evident that they want to see the Father, and Jesus said that he is speaking for the Father. Not only that, but he promises the Holy Spirit. And then in the beginning of chapter 15, he declares that he is the vine and his followers are the branches. To which I think, first, he was the light, then he's the bread of life, then the living water, then the resurrection, and the life, and now he's the vine. And I think, this guy has a ton of metaphors. Just a ton. In verse 2 of chapter 15, he speaks candidly of the trimming or pruning process that gives way to bearing fruit. You see, because God is in the composting business. Jesus then promises that in walking in his love, he will remain with us, and this ought to bring us joy in the midst of uncertainty and fear. However, this walk is not merely an inward or personal relationship, but about loving one another as he has loved us. Being joined to the vine leads to bearing fruit on an interpersonal level as well, an indication that, yes, we are not servants but friends, kin, actually, who have been shown the good road. In verse 15, he says, I have shown you everything I have heard from my father. And then he says something even more important, I think, as we prepare to step into our text for today. He says in verse 16, you may think you chose me, but I am the one who chose you. You are my new garden where I will grow a great harvest of love. The fruit that remains. From this point forward, the focus seems to shift outward to the interpersonal relationships that we will encounter as we walk a different path than the ways of the world. And we arrive at our text for today. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. I will be reading from the First Nations Version, and I would encourage you to follow along if you would like. You can grab a copy over here. If you don't have one already for your household, please Take one, or you can just listen. But as you do, pay attention to what you feel in your body as I read. I'm going to read this one time through, and then I'm going to go back and just make some observations.
Before I read, I want us to keep in mind that these words are predicated on the assurance that Jesus will remain with us and is harvesting love. This is important because right off, we're hit with some pretty heavy words. If you are hated by the world, remember it hated me first. If you are hated by the world, remember it hated me first. The ones who walk in the ways of this world love the ones who do the same, but look down on and hate the ones who do not. I have chosen you to walk away from the ways of this world on a different path, and that is why the world will hate you. Remember, I told you a servant is not greater than the one he serves. If I was hunted down, it will be the same for you. If they walk in my message, they will walk in yours. The people who walk in the ways of this world will do this because you walk in my ways, representing me. This shows they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come to them and represented the truth, they would not be guilty of this, but now their guilt remains. If I had not done the things no one else had done, they would have no guilt. But now they have seen with their own eyes and hated me and my father. The full meaning of their own sacred teachings have become clear. They hated me for no reason. Some observations. If you are hated by the world, remember it hated me first. My body reads this as not if, but when. As Jesus prepared his followers, then he is preparing us now. When you are hated by the world, remember it hated me first. The word for hate here in the Greek is meseo, which means to be hated, detested, even pursued with hate. I want to acknowledge that many of us have read this text through maybe a religious persecution sort of lens aimed at pleasantry or nicety, maybe even encouraging some spiritual bypassing. Read in a way that dismisses the bodily harm that comes with hatred. If not physical death itself, hatred carries out a slow degradation of bodies through oppression and the physical cost of carrying trauma. Yes, hated, detested, pursued with hatred. It is as extreme as it sounds and anxiety might stir in our bodies. And why will we be hated? Verse 19, because Jesus has chosen you to walk away from the ways of this world on a different path. As we have mentioned before, following Jesus is queer. Walking a different path is queer because it interrogates the status quo, paying attention to who is ignored, oppressed, or on the margins, and invites us to fully live in our bodies. And that is why the world will hate you. There's a cost to following Jesus. 
a cost to live a fully embodied faith. And if for one moment we are tempted to gloss over this short but weighty section, let us be reminded of those for whom being fully present in their own bodies is dangerous. Put in harm's way through systemic oppression, laws past and present... I think especially of my BIPOC siblings and LGBTQ siblings today. So let me lead us in a bit of truth-telling, lamenting and confessing that for many of us, privilege has caused us to live a disembodied faith. A disembodied faith leads to harm, to the detriment of our neighbors and ourselves. A disembodied faith is not the faith of Jesus. This gospel account has made that quite clear for us. Jesus is saying, where you physically walk, showing up with your full self, and away from the ways of this world, will put you in harm's way. Friends, now is the time to reckon with whatever disembodied faith has taken up residence in us. Now is the time to show up with our bodies in a way that deeply connects our faith to every area of life. Please hear me. God is not a compartmentalizing, disembodied God. There is no area of your life or of our lives together that God isn't fully present. Being fully present to ourselves, to God and one another, will bring hate. Verse 20, if I was hunted down, it will be the same for you. That means we need to be ready to compost whatever gets thrown at us. That first night in Atlanta on the Sankofa journey, we sat for hours listening to elder black activists Lula Joe Williams and J.T. Johnson, who marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Hearing story after story about being ready to engage with nonviolence, I felt as if they were preparing us. They too had been and were continuing to walk away from the ways of this world and on a different path, on the good road with Jesus. 86-year-old JT declared that the movement, this good road, is the church. As 76-year-old Lula stepped up to the mic, she started with words of wisdom I will not forget. She said, take care of yourself. Implying that otherwise, we won't be here to do the work. She shared how they never acted without learning or having organizing training, and I saw this as composting in real time. Taking the brutality, the pain, and the hate directed at their physical bodies and responding by seeking repair through truth-telling and healing 
Sometimes training or composting was formal and at other times more organic, like by way of singing or chanting, gearing folks up to face the unimaginable. And then she started to sing, making up a march song. leading us all that evening in a way that bounded us to God and to one another in the work before us. This is the point of the time where Brittany recounted that I said this was amazing and like exclaimed it. Like this is right after, like I texted you right after this point. Just so you know. It got harder, a lot harder. If they walk in my message, they will walk in yours. This message is of the kingdom, of the kingdom that spans time. Not only is this the path of Jesus, but we have spiritual ancestors who walked the same path, away from the ways of this world. At this point in the story... I just want to point out that while we rarely hear about children among the disciples or in the crowds following or listening to Jesus' teaching, my body, this body that has not only physically carried children but also sat with children in various spaces of life, reminds me that children are likely present in this scene as well. From a young age, the littlest disciples among us are being formed to walk the good road. Sometimes they will show us the way. Yeah, come on. But be warned of being hunted down. For three hours outside Kelly Ingram Park and 16th Street Baptist Church where the bombing in 1963 killed four young girls, we listened to Miss Donna. This beautiful, sassy elder shared about how she and other young people were at the forefront of the movement in Birmingham. A movement so powerful that the bombing at the church that was the hub of organization for marches that began at the park just across the street was carried out on Children's Sunday. Even our young people will be hated and hunted down. Verse 21. They will do this to you because you walk in my ways, representing me. This shows they do not know the one who sent me. The truth can be sharp. It is through our bodies showing up, walking with Jesus, that we get to know the one. We see the fullness of God who sent him. I hear Jesus saying, do not be derailed. 
Their guilt remains because a better way, the way of love, has been shown, and they have seen with their own eyes, but they still choose hate. You keep going. That's on them. Remember, Jesus was hated for revealing his true self as the I am. And with every encounter, Jesus liberated those around him to be fully known, to belong, restored in community, and to experience healing. Verse 25 says, The full meaning of their own sacred teachings have become clear. They hated me for no reason. It does feel that way when we're faced with hatred, doesn't it? But did they hate him for no reason? I mean, clearly Jesus was a threat to religious authorities as well as the empire and the status quo of the day just by showing up and being himself in his body. While hate seems to appear for no reason, I am reminded that not everyone wants to be liberated. We see this both throughout scripture and in our world today. Experiencing liberation, including being liberated from our own hate, means facing the pain and doing the hard work of composting. James Baldwin said this, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with the pain. The remaining verses of this section are a promise, and I want to read them to you. I am sending you the spirit of truth, the one who is coming from the Father. He will walk close by your side, representing me and telling truth about me. You will also represent me as truth tellers. For you have walked with me from the first and have seen these things with your own eyes. You will also represent me as truth tellers, for you have walked with me from the first and have seen these things with your own eyes. When we are in proximity, when we see things with our own eyes, showing up with our full selves, faith embodied, a process takes place. We are able to name the pain, to lament, to reckon with it, to repent or to turn from injustice or that which misses the mark of what God intends for us. To speak truth and fully engage on the good road, the road where all belong and are known as beloved. We do not do this composting work alone. So let us remember Jesus's promise of the spirit of truth who will walk close by our side and tell the truth. By the end of our four days together on that Sankofa bus, we had seen the spirit show up telling truth. Truth was found in the pain 
in the sadness and in the rage, and we began, we began to compost the hate, the suffering, and the trauma through shared communal responses, through words like, my, my. Go on, come on, tell it. And every type of moan and groan you could imagine. These expressions of grief were held in tandem with deep expressions of joy and laughter as we also celebrated beautiful moments, healing moments. All our composting gave way to companionship to one another and the spirit who walked close by our side. As we, this Trinity family, continue becoming our full selves, individually and communally, may we join in what God is doing, telling the truth, walking away from the ways of this world that seek to disembody. And while we know deep in our bones that we'll continue to face hatred, directly and indirectly, as we are bound to one another in a great web of kinship. May we engage in the work of composting the hatred by being in community and hearing the truth of the Spirit who sometimes whispers and sometimes shouts among us. May we experience renewal, or as Cole says, this repair, truth-telling, reparations, healing, and reconciliation, breathing new life into us. May it be so. Amen.